Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone who has called in. And welcome to today's webinar on migration and gender dynamics in irrigation governance in Nepal, where our speakers will be presenting results from collaborative work between FMISD, IFPRI, and IMI. My name is Simran Makija. I'm a senior research analyst at IFPRI, and I will be your moderator for today. I'd like to start with a few housekeeping items. This webinar will be recorded and the recording will be made available online after. Participants are in listen-only mode, so all questions must be asked through the chat box. We encourage participants to ask questions throughout the webinar. When you ask your questions, do introduce yourself and mention which presenter the question is for. Without further delay, I'd like to call upon our first speaker, Mr. Madhuka Raj Bhandari, Director General, Department of Water Resources and Irrigation, to give us his welcome remarks. Mr. Raj Bhandari, over to you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I welcome to all participants of this webinar on migration and gender dynamics in irrigation governance in Nepal, organized jointly by IFPRI, FMIST, and UIMI Nepal. Uh, this is very important uh, subject of discussion in Nepal in this evening. We have been putting importance on gender concerns in irrigation management. In the recently prepared Irrigation Master Plan of Nepal 2019-19, we included provisions of gender uh, equity and social inclusion, JC, for greater participation. We hope that the webinar, this webinar will be able to create, generate useful conclusions, which can be guidelines for implementation of gender-related programs in our department. For last three decades, the government of Nepal has been very responsive to promote gender, greater participation of women in social, political, and economic activities of uh, Nepalese society. Similarly, the role of women in agriculture in Nepal is phenomenal. The recent phenomena of out-migration of young people from rural Nepal has put more burden in Oman. Government has been making effort to create space for effective role of women in Nepalese society. In order to give more state status to women, government of Nepal has exempted certain percentage of revenue when women buy land in her own name provided the provision of joint ownership of land between husband and wife by paying only Nepalese rupees 100 at land registration office. It is provided that 33% of women membership in all public office mandatory show is in the case of WA Executive Committee also. My department has a unit for the promotion of women participation and education development and management and organizing some training to uh, empower the women's participation. I appreciate the contribution of FMISD, EFRI, and UMI in the education sector in Nepal. I once again welcome to you all. Thanks. Thank you very much, Mr. Raj Bhandari, for your welcome remarks. Up next, I'd like to invite Wei Zhang, Senior Research Fellow at IFPRI, to talk a little bit about the objectives of this webinar. We. Oui. Thank you. 
Thank you very much for the welcome note, Dr. Uh, Rajabandari. Dr. Prachanda Prajan, uh, who probably needs no introduction in this virtual conference room, was originally going to present the objectives of the webinar. As a leading scholar studying and promoting the values and benefits of farmer-managed irrigation systems in Nepal and beyond for over 30 years, Dr. Pradhan founded the Farmer Managed Irrigation System Promotion Trust and continues to be an active patron of the organization. Unfortunately, he's not well today. I will present on his behalf. Um, let's wish him a speedy recovery. Supported by the CGIAR research programs on policies, institutions and markets, and the water, land and ecosystems, under the thematic programs of feminization of agriculture, the International Food Policy Research Institute joined force with Dr. Padang of Farmer Management uh, Managed Irrigation System Promotion Trust and the International Water Management Institute to study the migration and gender dynamics in irrigation governance in Nepal. Studies of farmer-managed irrigation systems in Nepal have shaped a lot of our understanding of the governments of commons. Widespread male migration from rural areas is one of the most important forces shaping agrarian transformation in Nepal and in many other developing countries. One particularly important area affected is the governance and management of local public goods, such as irrigation systems. Historically, the operation of water user associations and governance of irrigation systems have been dominated by men, and the system have relied on male labor for operation and maintenance. In many of the systems, women are prohibited from doing work on the irrigation systems because of concerns that they would brutally pollute the system. Male migration is changing the composition of gender in terms of who is available in the rural areas. And the question is, what happens to these irrigation systems? Outcomes depend on the content, uh, extent of technical and institutional changes at the system level, as well as the strategic behavior of women and men both migrants and those who remain. While government regulations have been introduced to improve gender-balanced participation, gender norms as well as time and capacity constraints, both actual and perceived, have kept female members from performing essential functions in the water user associations. This highlights the need to understand how the organization and functioning of water user associations evolve, how internal and external drivers uh, factors drive these processes, the extent of techno technological and in institutional innovations um, are, are shaping outcomes uh, in terms of system functioning and equity. With this setup, we ask some research questions. Um, when you have male migration, what happens to the system performance? In our overall conceptual mapping, we considered this being shaped by labor contribution, monetary contribution, knowledge, decision-making in governance, and technology. 
does male migration change any of these and how does this filter through to uh, system performance, which ultimately would affect agricultural productivity. In this study, we um, our research questions focus on the first part of this conceptual mapping. Uh, we are looking at uh, what kinds of institutional innovations are happening? Uh, what about technologically, uh, techno, uh, not, uh, technical innovations? How do women's roles change? And what are the outcomes in terms of consequences of the for the effectiveness of irrigation systems? But does it also add up to my, uh, adaptation, resulting in more inclusive and transparent decision making? Our uh, next slide, please. Our study methods include literature review, phone survey, and in-depth case studies. We come, came up with a phone survey of um, water use association leaders from seven provinces across Damn. the country. Yeah. The survey uh, implemented by Dr. Pradhan was possible because Farmer manage, Managed Irrigation System Promotion Trust already had the database of the uh, leaders who would take the survey uh, with them. This was complemented by qualitative studies by Dr. Pradhan and uh, Dr. Manita, uh, Dr. Diana uh, Sudahani and Ms. Manita Raut from IMI. So with that, I pass the baton to Dr. Ruth Meisendick. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, um, so I will be reporting on the phone survey results. Um, that we have done, and this is joint work with Wei Zhang and Prachanda Pradhan. Um, this picture is uh, a classic picture of the uh, farmer-managed irrigation systems, one of the uh, earliest studied systems, and um, it it actually shows a great deal of sophistication that that lies behind these irrigation systems. Um, with these, this proportioning, we're allocating water in proportion to, um, to water rights in the system. That has been very male dominated. The, uh, the second picture shows a, a women's group and is a much more contemporary picture and shows a changing dynamic with male migration and women playing a larger role uh, in many aspects. So in the phone survey, um, we uh, had, uh, as uh, Wei mentioned, this phone survey built on the FMIST's database and rapport with the, the farmers. We asked about what are the responses to male migration, including the participation in meetings and irrigation activities, changes in rules and technological changes. Now I wanna make one quick note. These, we were asking for basic facts as well as the op opinions of the key informant. Usually it was the Water User Association president. Um, so we have to take account that, you know, some of these are opinions. Also, we originally asked for changes over a 10 year period. But then we realized in our analysis that 10 years may not be capturing the correct, the real period of migration. 
partly because of recall problems, but also migration in many of these places has been going on for more than 10 years. Um, so the top five reported consequences of male migration fall into a number of categories. Um, we've grouped them sort of thematically here. There's a strong reported prevalence of women participating in irrigation system management. But that may not be all caused by migration. There have also been regulations since 2003 requiring women's participation in water user associations. There's a shift from labor to cash contributions for operation and maintenance. That's that those first set of yellow highlighted ones. Those may be either for all farmers or just women switching from labor to cash contributions, this monetization. Then the third group in white um, are women are becoming managers at the farm level. That leads to high workloads and for women and labor shortages at the household level. Um, those relate to the household level and farm, not so much to the system level. Finally, and very encouragingly, the last set in yellow and the of labor shortages causing deterioration of the system, fallowing of land, or women depriving, being deprived of being members because they don't own land is relatively rare. Those are the negative outcomes that we were wondering, you know, how, how prevalent are they? So that's overall signs that adaptation is happening and negative outcomes are being prevented. Then we probe a little bit more into if we're looking at what is the effect of male migration, we're also controlling for the type of irrigation system management, farmer managed versus agency or joint managed, system size, system type, topography, so is this in the hills, mountains, or terai, caste or ethnicity of the executive committee members. If they are from high caste, we might expect more conservative uh, gender norms. And then the re respondents education and province fixed effects. What do we see here? Overall, we see that men's participation declines and women's participation increases. But the increase in women's participation is greater in magnitude, and only that is significant, statistically significant, for participation and speaking. Both uh, effects for men and women, uh, men's decline and women's increase is significant um, effect of male migration for participation in canal maintenance. Then uh, when we come to looking at women's participation in, in more detail, um, again, we see a high proportion of women's reported participation even without high male migration. But migration does have a significant effect. There's no difference between farmer-managed irrigation and, and agency-managed systems. Gravity systems tend to have less women's participation, perhaps because of the technical knowledge and need to travel to do maintenance on the gravity systems. 
somewhat surprising effect of a high caste executive committee members membership actually increasing women being allowed to do maintenance and participate in operation. Um, in terms of the rules, were there changes in the rules? Migration is associated with more women's membership in their own right and rules for participation in meetings and for alternatives to labor contributions, cash or contract labor being allowed instead of direct labor contributions. Hill and mountain systems are less likely to have gender balanced rules. Again, high caste uh, executive committee members are associated with some more gender equitable rules. And finally, on technological change, male migration is associated with women plowing, being harvester, oh, and uh, also with the adoption of harvesters and threshers, which are male associated tasks, but not with weeders, which is a, a women's associated task. There's still very low adoption of weeders mechanized weeders. Hill and mountain systems have less harvesters, threshers, and that's be perhaps because the topography limits the ability to get this heavy equipment into the fields compared to the Tarai plains. Larger systems also have more harvesters and threshers, perhaps because of um, economies of scale. And executive, high caste executive committee members do have a um, negative effect on adoption of mechanization. So these raise a number of important issues. We're now going to turn from this overall statistical analysis to the uh, a more detailed look within 10 cases, um, and I'll uh, turn it over to you, Simran, to introduce our next speaker. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Ruth. Um, do we have way on next? We have, okay. Um, thank you so much, Ruth and um, Wei. Up next, I'd like to invite uh, Ujwal Pradhan, uh, who's the Chief of Party for Forest Plus 2.0. Forests for Water and Prosperity, a five-year program of USAID and the Ministry of Environment, Forests and Climate Change in India. Um, thank you so much, Mr. Ujwal Pradhan, for stepping in for Prachandaji um, at the very last minute. We really, really appreciate it. Um, over to you, Mr. Pradhan. Dr. Pradhan. Uh, thank you, Simran. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to uh, everyone. And as Simran mentioned, I'm filling in for Dr. Prachandra Pradhan. And as I went through his slides, it brought back fond memories uh, of having also accompanied him, having done field research in some of the uh, you know, irrigation systems that are mentioned in the study. But I would like to mention that I am in. I am not involved in this particular case study work. Uh, I would narrate, uh, you know, Dr. Prasanna Pradhan's uh, uh, presentation. And uh, uh, next slide, please. Yeah. 
so basically we will uh, talk about the uh, background of the case study and this is as ruth had mentioned uh, the sharing of the findings from the 10 uh, case studies so the assumption basically as part of the larger research problematic that way and ruth mentioned was that out migration of youths from the rural areas would create a vacuum of labor force which then results in the increase in the burden of the agriculture as well as irrigation activities uh, for women uh, you know so we're not only looking at irrigation systems alone but the larger context of both agriculture and irrigation and the specific objective of the study and as part of the several uh, what study methods that we're really trying to look at this from a wider perspective that's empowering women for decision making in agriculture and water management and so decision making is very crucial not just uh, participation and it encompasses factors such as the changes in technology, the legal systems, the agricultural mechanisms, uh, labor demand, supply, uh, and concretization or physical improvements in irrigation, as well as the transportation systems and the monetization of the economy. So the changing nature of rurality within which irrigation systems are embedded, there are lots of things that are going on. What are these economic and social forces at work? Uh, next, please. Okay, uh, so these 10 uh, irrigation systems are located uh, in the Tarai Plains, to the south of Nepal, as well as in the hill areas. Uh, what is important to note out here is the diversity that we see, uh, the range in terms of regional uh, variation, uh, and also the historicity. Some are new, meaning just barely 20 years. Others are over 300 years old. And looking at the history city, one can get a sense of, uh, you know, different political regimes, different uh, policies, uh, as well as the variation out here in terms of the size. So, former managed irrigation systems over 3,000. Uh, hectares of command area are large irrigation systems uh, that are managed solely by uh, the farmers. Uh, we also have uh, the types in terms of gravity and pump, as well as management uh, by joint management or FMIS. Uh, yeah. uh, next slide, please. Yeah. In continuation with uh, looking at the location and the variation amongst the uh, 10 irrigation systems. Uh, uh, Dr. Prasanna Pradhan uh, has studied uh, several of these uh, systems over the last 20 to 40 years and have observed the multi-factor changes over a period of time. So the case study methodology that has been used uh, for this uh, uh, write-up and this research really focuses on the historical perspective of the system development uh, you can get a sense of how organizational evolution and trajectory have come about, the changes, the drivers of change in that particular place, and the changes in the roles of women and men, 
and also through focus group discussions on gender dynamics, as well as key informant uh, interviews. So the merit of the case study out here is basically looking at the qualitative aspects of these irrigation systems and the gender dynamics, uh, as well as it provides a richness uh, you know, into the dynamics of the uh, irrigation systems more in greater detail over a period of time uh, and also allows us to ask and answer why certain changes have occurred. Now, some of the general findings, I shall now move on to the overall general findings uh, uh, of this uh, 10 uh, irrigation systems uh, case study research was that out migration you know, has different characteristics depending on the location. So where is that irrigation system embedded in? What is the larger context and what are the socio-economic forces at work? So like, for example, around urban areas, the youth have moved from agricultural activities to industrial active activities because of the availability of those commerce and all. Male members near district headquarters have become absent, uh, you know, during daytime for jobs. So in terms of migration, you've got short term, you've got temporary migration, you've got internal migration within Nepal, as well as for seasonal work to India cross border. And then you have uh, the long term migration in, towards Malaysia and Gulf countries in the last for three to five years. So that historicity of a particular place, uh, looking at that irrigation system, you can sort of see when did these opportunities open up? When did these changes happen? And how have people out there responded to these changes? Next slide, please. So again, uh, the out-migration of youth from the rural areas, uh, they've caused a short supply of labor. And if we're talking about uh, you know, uh, the mill out migration, definitely short supply of uh, manpower there. And then increase in the activities done by women in both agriculture and irrigation. Yes, the burden has increased, but how have they adapted? How have they, you know, uh, responded to this? So agricultural laborers from different parts of uh, the, the different adjoining districts or nearby have sort of filled that vacuum where labor shortage is experienced. And the use of IT technologies, especially in mobile, uh, through mobile phones, communications, keeping in touch and contact, that has been uh, one of the findings that shows that mobile phones have in fact facilitated in the hands of women to mobilize these agricultural laborers from uh, outside. There's also uh, banking on the foundations of traditional pattern of uh, labor exchange of Burma among households, because with a limited labor, you use some of these exchange labor uh, mechanisms to address, especially amongst women. Then there is also the full mechanization of agricultural activities, uh, like uh, the use of tractors for land preparation. So in fact, it has reduced. So these are certain ways of when you have money coming in, maybe through remittances and all, people have looked at how do you substitute for the limited labor. 
then you have the transformation to monetization from labor-based irrigation to cash-based due to shortage of uh, labor. And now women have the ability to pay cash for maintenance of irrigation systems rather than they themselves working on it. In certain irrigation systems, they work, but it really depends on how far that places from commercial units, uh, the situation within the domestic cycle of the household and the availability of labor within a particular family. Uh, next slide, please. Right, uh, so the concretization or the physical uh, improvements in this irrigation system have now required less operation and maintenance, so less CPs, less uh, you know, can withstand uh, certain stresses onto the irrigation system. And this has meant that women have now more time, otherwise they would have been uh, involved in the labor work, to be involved in extra income activities. You know, at simultaneously, if you look over the development trajectory in Nepal over the last several, several decades, that there are other activities, uh, income activities, other organized group activities like savings and credits for women that have been uh, facilitated and they've been able to engage in to that, with that. Uh, so, and access to improved roads and bicycles have helped women in terms of mobility to go to the irrigation uh, to participate in uh, irrigated related, uh, irrigation related activities like in places in Chetun and in Kailali. Uh, livestock raising patterns also have changed to more cash income and uh, women have uh, now it has lessened the burden of fodder collection and grazing by uh, women at the household level especially when you have tractors being brought in and then you don't have to worry about having the blocks for the whole year and all. Now, remittances that are very interlinked with, uh, with migration, thank you. Uh, that to hire uh, laborers by paying cash, and this is a key factor in uh, lessening the burden. The households have also decided to give land for sharecropping and contract farming, uh, and now women are becoming more as managers and linked up with the governance of the irrigation system and the 33 percentage of membership that has increased and uh, they are part of the decision making. So it, one of the findings is that over 33 percentage of women have been represented in these case studies. So they are part of the rule making and being part of the rule making would also have an effect on the types of benefits and the types of uh, opportunities as well as adaptation that they seek. Uh, uh, over to you, Simran, thanks. Thank you very much, Dr. Pradhan. Um, just a quick reminder to all our participants that you can send in your questions at any point during any of our presenters um, while they are speaking. You can send in your questions in the chat. Up next, um, I'd like to invite Manita Raut, a senior research officer at the International Water Management Institute to present. Manita, over to you. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm uh, representing today worked on by Dr. Diana and me from IMI with uh, close guidance from Ruth and the team. So today I'll be uh, sharing reflections on gendered institutional dynamics reshaping women's role in water user associations in Nepal, where we studied two cases, one in Tarai Plain of Nepal and another in Mid-Hills uh, here. Uh, all the uh, animations, please. 
with an increasing uh, phenomena of male out migration in Nepal, uh, with an objective to uh, earn income to add to livelihood, a number of studies on feminization of agriculture have been highlighting a real possibility in the empowerment of women, the reason being likelihood of increased participation of women in decision-making spaces such as water user association, which are uh, formal bodies shaping uh, rules and practices around irrigation, management, and governance. Some scholars argue women have always been part of agriculture and irrigation, only that they have not been recognized enough. We see a number of policy measures in Nepal to address the concerns around lack of women representation in agriculture and irrigation governance. And one such policy, as highlighted by other speakers as well, uh, is was to formalize the uh, participation of uh, women. And irrigation policy 2003 was quite instrumental in mandating 33% representation of women in executive committees. Now, such policy measures have been seen by many at starting point to formally promote and increase greater participation of women in water user associations while there are other scholars who have pointed out that such implementation have often resulted in tokenistic uh, participation and does not always result in greater gen uh, decision making authority and bargaining power for women uh, next please uh, so in this uh, project, we aim to understand the dynamics of uh, gender and migration. And through these case studies as well, we're trying to understand the interrelations with uh, irrigation governance. So the objective of uh, this uh, case study was to unpack women's views in relation to their envisioned roles in irrigation system management, followed by male out migration, and how migration is linked with water user associations, organizational and structural characteristics, we also wanted to see and understand how these events reshape gendered uh, responses to adapt to the changing agrarian context, also affected by not just migration, but other factors as well. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so we rely on uh, qualitative methods to carry out uh, these case studies in our study locations, uh, where we use focus group discussions and key informant interviews of uh, members from water user uh, uh, associations and to understand how the involvement of different members in the association is diverse. We en engage with different kinds of uh, respondents on the basis of uh, their gender position in the family they had, for example, some may be mother-in-law, other may be daughter-in-laws with different uh, power in the family. Uh, as well as family types, such as nuclear and joint families they came from, which seem to be pretty important, especially when we're talking about migration and the implications. Um, next slide, please. Um, as far as the study locations uh, is concerned, we looked at cases in Janakalyan, which is situated in uh, Tarai Plains in Chitwan district of Nepal, and Kailaritar, which is located in the mid-hills of Nepal, we chose these locations because we really wanted to tap onto the diversities in terms of topography and even the contextual factors that influenced irrigation governance and various practices. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, I'll discuss a couple of characteristics of uh, these case study sites in Janapalyan, located in Tarai Plains of Nepal. Uh, we observed availability of agricultural labor had reduced due to migration, but we also observed uh, the labor shortages were fulfilled by desis. Desi are a group of migrant laborers from Nepal and India who provide seasonal labor on contractual basis. But in hills uh, in Kailaditar, we observed limited scope 
to higher labor that would compensate for labor shortages. Uh, regarding engagement of women in water user association, in Zanakalyan in Plain, we found that uh, in the association, there was a provision to hire irrigation operator for canal management who irrigated farming plots for the members. Uh, and mostly women were not participating directly in the association, but they used informal ties and asked their relatives to represent their concerns, uh, concerns in, in, in this decision-making space. However, things are quite different when we uh, looked at case in uh, the hills in Thaileritar, where women were involved or were rather pushing to increase their role in canal management. Now, uh, beyond just factors that immediately affect or directly affect water management, there were also factors such as agricultural mechanization on rise in Sarai, uh, uh, and we could see that there was an increasing uh, use of tractors, harvesters in different seasons. But in the hills, we found that mechanization was happening, but it was quite slow and was also limited due to uh, topographical uh, challenges. Uh, next slide, please. Um, uh, I'll now share key findings and reflections and discuss what uh, these mean. Uh, we observed uh, diverse ways women exercised their agency in Zanakalyan in Plains, uh, due to multiple care agricultural responsibilities of women, especially in nuclear families, we found that they used social network to access water in their farm, farm plots. Uh, they did not feel that uh, their direct participation was necessary since water was abundant and there was less water sharing conflict. But when we look at the case of Kaileritar, we found cases where women insisted on increasing their roles in canal management. For example, uh, in this uh, Hilly case, we found that Water User Association practice allowed only men to provide canal maintenance uh, labor, and women were supposed to uh, contribute cash, and limited ways to address labor shortage that women to actually seek options where they can provide labor instead of cash. When we look at the external factors, we found that mechanization seemed to have helped women to save time and address labor shortages created by migration and other factors uh, to some extent. Although we found that mechanization uh, did not always make things easier for women, for example, in case of the hills, we found one example where men used to plow land followed by, uh, followed by leveling the land, but with emergence of hand driller, um, men stopped uh, leveling the land and now this had become new responsibilities of women. So in this case, we found that this really increased work burden for women even more. Next slide, please. Um, now, when we reflect overall on gendered participation of uh, uh, gendered participation in water user association, we look at it from two perspectives. One is the increased participation of women does not necessarily mean greater decision power uh, for them, as reflected by one woman member in, one woman member uh, of the association in her testimony, where she highlights how women lack uh, decision making in the association and also points out that uh, their opinions are less valued in comparison to men. At the same time, we found that no direct participation of women, uh, but use of social network helps some women to fulfill their irrigation and water related needs. Family ties in some cases were seen to be instrumental in appointment of women in irrigation executive committees too. Now, just something to think about here is that 
there are multiple ways women engage in irrigation decision making spaces. And next slide, please. And when women engage in these spaces, the contextual realities they engage in determines how they participate. In uh, our case, in Hills, uh, women actively seek direct involvement to address practices that does not benefit them. For example, the case of canal management that I shared earlier, women also recognize, and this is quite interesting, is uh, for them to meaningfully participate and their opinions to be valued, uh, one woman uh, shared that men should support them. And this is something that uh, is coming up in migration and uh, decision-making um, spaces that women enter in. Next slide, please. So uh, when we looked at women's views and strategies to cope with male migration, we found that they are linked with water user associations, rules and functioning, but they are also influenced by external factors, such as the rules and practices within association, uh, decisions on water distribution, but the social network both men and women bring uh, with them in this association is quite important, and we need to think about that. Next slide, please. Um, now, this is my uh, concluding slide, and we came to uh, these reflections, and Ruth uh, pointed me in that direction. Um, so, implication of male migration for women in water user association were seen to be shaped by women's agency, but the choices women make are shaped by contextual realities and various factors that affect the availability of agricultural labor, availability of residence income. Uh, to pay for agricultural labor, uh, the implications of external factors such as mechanization, where women can sometimes benefit, but, but can be burdened at the same time. And lastly, by leadership of few women who choose to engage in male space, or as irrigation space was considered a very masculine male space, but there are some women who are pushing for the practices to change and are uh, really trying uh, to benefit from uh, new practices they push for. Uh, with that, I conclude my presentation and look forward to discussion. Thank you. Thank you very much, Manita. Um, I'd like to thank all the presenters once again for really interesting presentations. Up next, I'd like to invite uh, Pranita Udas, Research Fellow at Thompson Rivers University, and Chandra Gurungodrich, the Senior Gender Specialist at ICI-MOD. Pranita and Chandra will give us their discussion remarks next. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Simran. Um, uh, my pleasure to be part of this webinar. And um, good morning, good evening, good afternoon to everybody um, attending this uh, webinar. Uh, first of all, I would like to congratulate the team for um, uh, carrying out such a comprehensive uh, study um, uh, covering overall, you know, the, with the, started with the survey and then going through the cases studies of 10 irrigation system and then to narrowing down to the in-depth study with a representation of Hill and um, uh, um, Hill and Tarai irrigation system. Um, uh, so congratulations, and I was very interested to listen to all the presentation. Um, as we all know, um, I just want to contextualize this study in terms of talking about um, uh, the male migration uh, 
has uh, is not a case only in Nepal. It's happening in uh, many other part of the country also, uh, many of the part of different countries, and it's a global market that has opened this. You know the possibilities for um, grabbing the opportunity to increase uh, cash economy, and uh, countries like Nepal and some others the male migration has been increasing. So overall, this case from Nepal might also be, uh, will be contributing, uh, like earlier, the study by Ostroms on others on uh, managing a common property resources. And it's a very contextual, very significant study to address uh, uh, present uh, context of human mobility around the world and food security, where the irrigation system is a lifeline for uh, still a food security for a lot of people who are living in those um, different areas. So uh, I would like to, uh, with this context, I would like to um, uh, highlight some of the points that you have, uh, the presenter has talked and I will be bringing some of the talking points. Um, it's very interesting that the irrigation system, the way it, uh, the labor requirement of the irrigation system in the past, uh, it is very male dom male uh, dominated uh, area it's also because the uh, management of irrigation system was very much masculine and in that context how uh, this uh, absence of male and uh, women are being involved uh, is something very uh, point of curiosity for us because this trend of migration has saved vulnerability and capability for the families who have opted for uh, migration as their family strategy. So most of the people who have migrated from Nepal, they have they have taken a loan to go abroad because the ticket itself is a huge money for many of the household. So it's a migration attempt through loan. So vulnerability of families has increased with the migration when they take a when they has they have taken loan, and for some others it has become a has improved their capability as they absorb the stock of loan, and then they could improve their capability. And then uh, they brought the cash economy back home. So having said that, uh, what I would like to um, uh, highlight a little bit is, um, this study gave us an overall picture on saying that uh, women's participation has increased in the overall uh, irrigation management. But the in-depth study also uh, bring us down to say that um, uh, there are contextual issues to say that how much uh, achievements in terms of uh, in, at a family level and at a you know at a level of uh, individual as a women's increasing women's vulnerability uh, is different. So um, one another thing uh, that I like to highlight is in an irrigation system. Um, I like the study uh, looked into geographical variation. Uh, it also looked into caste variation when this uh, when we um, uh, made a quantification of some of the data in the initial survey. But one another social stratification in an irrigation system is also about land ownership within a command area. And um, studies in 2000 indicated that you know there are few women participated those days. And those women are actually a women from attendant uh, farmers, and they have participated because they wanted to ensure uh, what kind of decision happens. And uh, the the male and 
uh, female, the husband and wife in a family made this decision that women go for the meeting because the opportunity cost for a male to go out and work is higher. Market pays male more than the women. So because of that, uh, the, what we saw is the uh, poorest of the poor, women from the poorest of the poor family, the tenant farmers used to go and listen to the, you know, some of the discussion happening. Whereas the large landowners are the one who will dominate and mostly there, the, 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 they were men. So this social stratification in a command area with uh, based on uh, land ownership might bring more insight uh, on the analysis. Um, I think with this, um, I'll close my remark and thank you very much for the study presentation. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Pranita. Up next, I'd like to call on Chandra Gurung Goodrich, a senior gender specialist at ICI MOD. Chandra, over to you. Okay, uh, again, uh, good morning, good evening, and uh, good afternoon to everybody out there. Uh, thank you. I would, uh, first of all, like to thank the team for inviting me to be uh, discuss on the paper. And as Pranita said, it's indeed a very interesting study. You know, you've done a lot of, uh, I think, uh, uh, studies taking 10 cases and doing all this qualitative research. And um, for me, coming from the social science background, qualitative research is something that I'm really interested in. So uh, 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 what uh, I, uh, some of the major points that is takeaway for me, or I'd also like to discuss and have some more discussion on is that, you know, the topic of this, uh, uh, webinar on um, impacts of migration on gender dynamics in the irrigation management. Uh, I think the, the way that has been brought out about how uh, male out migration has impacted the gender dimensions in the irrigation system has come out very well. And because of that, that you know, the more women stepping in. Uh, but I would also like to look at it. I think more discussion is that are we discussing about women stepping in in the governance frame of the irrigation management? So it's 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 of the governance structure. It seems like you know. So how many women are participating? How many women are there um, in the decision making role? Uh, whereas uh, if we talk about women's actual role in irrigation, not the governance framework, I think this has been happening uh, not just in Nepal but in many other places. It's just that I think the recognition is coming too late when we see that uh, male migration is happening. But if you look at Nepal, you know, this male out migration has been a historical uh, event. It, it's been going on for many, many uh, decades. Uh, but I think it's now it's getting more, uh, for, for the past few decades, it's getting more in the discussion of the discourses, particularly because of urbanization and climate change. And uh, I, would, I would really, uh, I think, want to take this discussion towards, okay, so if this is happening, the gender dimensions or the dynamics is changing because of male out migration or even other socioeconomic processes that's happening, then how does it, uh, I guess coming from the social science background and coming from the gender background, I would like to see and discuss more around how is this changing uh, dimensions or dynamics, is it really contributing to the uh, empowerment of women, the gender equity, gender equality we are talking about. Because, uh, you know, especially in Nepal with this new uh, change in the structure 
uh, of the Nepal uh, Nepali governance systems. And we see a lot of changes happening since 2017, whether it's in the water sector or we look at other sectors of agriculture or energy or irrigation. There's a lot of things are happening. And now, how, how, how is this migration of men and then women stepping into this governance structure of irrigation management, has that made a difference? Is this is this an opportunity for moving into transformative change? That's the discussion I would really like to make because I see certain points that you've made out, you know, about cash, uh, the the monetization of this Burma system. Uh, is this an opportunity? Because if you look at Burma's system historically, there has been a very unequal uh, on the basis of gender, you know, a man's one day is equal to women's two days. But with cash, can can this be an opportunity? Has that been looked into? Uh, so I want, I was, I just wanted to channel this discussion more into that frame because are we looking at women taking up this work just for the sake that women can take it up, women can prove they're as good as men, or is it for the sake that we want to see that women are empowered, have their agency? Because we know these structures are the one which is really. Um, uh, Pranita, remember we had a big study where we showed that women has the skills and capacities have increased tremendously even in Nepal that we're talking about. But is these structures and these processes in the institutions that's really negating the agency? So I just wanted to also take this discussion towards that level through this irrigation management. Because when we look at this, there was a study, I think in 2011, that looked about for, uh, I think, um, in 31 districts on the uh, water users associations. And out of them, I think majority had only one seventh of women members who were actually talking or doing something. Otherwise, participation of women in this state is taken as voluntary work which is the entire critic that we need to, I think, criticize. But I, I am very happy to see this work that's also going more further into depth on why is this happening? What's, what's, uh, what is it leading to? Are women really getting this kind of voices on at par? And what are women saying that bringing other women's yeah. voices? So that's, I would like to get into that. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chanda. Um, I'd now like to invite all our panelists um, to turn on their videos for the question and answer session. Excellent. Um, we start with a question from uh, Parat Upadhyay from USAID Kisan 2. His question is To what extent? Uh, are agriculture policies aligned with other sector policies related to NRM? Dr. Pradhan, if you'd like to take this question, I'll give you the first, um, or if you'd like to hand it to somebody else, um, and you have about two minutes to respond. I would like uh, to hand it over to somebody else. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can highlight. Go ahead, Pranita. Yeah. Yeah, my, uh, my understanding with uh, getting involved with some of the irrigation program under ADBTA, Asian Development Bank's TA, um, uh, most of the, um, uh, and Madhukar Sara can also add on this, uh, it's a group of people, you know, in the you know, funding agency, as well as in the development, as well as in the bureaucracy that uh, working together in an intersectoral perspective 
So effort is there to try to align the policy as much as possible. So for instance, this um, uh, women's participation in irrigation policy is an influence of uh, what other sectors are doing. Otherwise, it was a, for a long time, it was a big question, why women in, you know, why we should force women to be in the committee kind of, that was a kind of a, um, uh, response from a, uh, from a bureaucracy and even from a farmers, like, you know, why I'm doing it my, as a man, I'm doing it. Why my wife has to be in the committee kind of thing, you know? So this 30, 32% of, and, and at first, uh, I do I, am I already finishing my 2%, two, 10 minutes time, correct? Two minutes time. Otherwise, I just want to tell you the history because the, at the beginning, um, it was only 20% with the clause, if available. It was not like, you know, 33% has to be there. And it's all the, since all the other sectors are also doing, and that we see the changes happening in the um, demography, that you know more and more women are um, taking responsibility and there are more and more of a, also the advocacy from a feminist group that has brought this uh, quota policy i would say that yeah thank you so much pranita um, our next question is from fraser sugden and this question is for either manita or ruth while employing labor can offset the labor burden and allow women to be more active in activities such as irrigation management, what about the families who are supplying this labor? Our past research has shown that position in the agrarian structure has a huge impact on whether or not one can adapt to labor stress following out-migration of men. That is, poorer farmers don't have the luxury of hiring in labor, and if anything, also need to supply labor others to make up for cash shortfalls. Manita, Ruth, which, which one of you would like to take this? Uh, maybe I can uh, have a go and maybe Ruth can add. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's quite true. And some of those reflections also came along when we were trying to do our case studies. Uh, we although found that things were quite different in terms of labor availability within the family, when it when we're talking about either nuclear family or a joint family uh, because even in case of uh, poor farming households we found that if uh, for example in a nuclear family a man a man has migrated outside either there are men in um, like you know other men available to uh, provide labor or not is one thing uh, but at the same time, uh, even with uh, the remittance income, I, I'd like to highlight one thing that uh, Pranitaji also mentioned a bit earlier, which was basically in terms of loan that people take. And even with migration happening a lot of times, uh, especially uh, farming households who are quite poor tend to face the burden of loan and uh, they may not be receiving uh, remittance income, uh, further stressing the ability to pay for any hired uh, labor availability that might be uh, in, a, in a particular particular case. So with that, I'll pass to Ruth. I think you've you've covered that quite well, so we can maybe take a different question next. Um, great. The next question we have is from Sushil Subedi. Out-migration from communities has essentially burdened women and elderly with extra workload. With the new demand to involve women in irrigation activities, including formal committees, aren't we adding to their woes? 
Moreover, practical evidence has demonstrated that inclusion of women in the decision-making of irrigation systems has been ceremonious only. I'll let Dr. Pradhan or Ruth take this one, unless somebody else wants to jump in. Yes, uh, as in fact, the presentations also have pointed out that true, the burden and responsibilities have in fact increased on the part of women for both the agriculture as well as irrigation uh, spheres. Uh, but you know, uh, but these are very much uh, part of the livelihoods of the people in the rural areas. And what is important is how have women facing these added responsibilities or having to fill in the gaps have actually come up with different strategies or adjusted uh, and taken uh, uh, advantages of the new opportunities uh, that are uh, present out there uh, given this change, right? And uh, the case studies as well as the deep dive, in fact, shows from a historical perspective where if you're looking at some of these irrigation systems, like, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, women were also not allowed to work in the irrigation systems, except for a few. Uh, but what is important is if there is an engagement and if in fact they're part of the decision-making group that the rule making and the rules that are made because they have a say in it would in fact have implications for the benefits or further responsibilities and out migration in fact has brought about a number of opportunities for rural women as was pointed out hiring of labor mechanization monetization and remuneration but what it is is that women as well as these households are operating within limited labor availability as well as cash availability and the burden of both trying to pay back the loans if they took any loans as well as let's say childcare, depending on the domestic cycle of the household what is necessary is how do we level the playing field how can there be policies and programs that in fact allow access to credit finance networks institutions uh, and leadership opportunities that allow women to be in the public sphere uh, because there's quite a bit of spillover effects from being engaged in forestry or there are examples from community forestry where they have moved on to others if we look at the existing parameters of the constraints then it would be very difficult it would be the choosing this or that and then uh, the burden obviously increases so from a policy matter from an education matter it would be great if there is a uh, for the ministry or the department or universities to really look at this as part of the curriculum in terms of the gender dynamics and the evolving uh, nature uh, of the situations that we face uh, in uh, in the context of remittances as well as out-migration. Out-migration is like a safety valve right now. People are able to go out and get uh, jobs and all of that. 
when that closes, look at, for example, the implications of COVID-19. When the infrastructures and constructions in the Middle East will end, what is going to happen? So I think from a policy point of view and all that, we really need to look at how do we level the playing field, how in fact participation is not only token participation, but in fact they are able to be part of the governance system in order to have a voice in the rule making and decision making, as well as there are things beyond their, uh, the, you know, uh, uh, capabilities in terms of access to credit, finance, network, uh, leadership, uh, the avenues, uh, and interlinkages between different organized groups. I would sort of say that, yes, burden has increased, but we should look at opportunities. Thank you, Dr. Pradhan. And since you mentioned COVID-19, I'm going to jump to another question related to the same topic from Evaristo Mapesda. Um, how has COVID-19 impacted migration and further reconfigured gender relationships within irrigated agriculture? And this I'll let any one of our panelists uh, jump in for. I was reading the news about um, what's happening to the this mig migrated male who has come back and going through the discussion on uh, this is the real time that um, you know Nepal has experienced number of shocks from earthquake and then the blockade and then the COVID and then you know the some hope from the migrated male who will bring the cash back. Um, you know they have come back and become has become more vulnerable um uh with that actually i would like to um, just add on ongoing discussion that there is a group of people who are talking about now this is a real time for nepal government to think about this this train of you know encouraging male to go out and to actually um, create an opportunity, discourage now male to go out and create an opportunity to improve the productivity. I think and this is the right time that, you know, this kind of a study, um, the water being a lifeline for food productivity and all, all over the world we are now talking about local, um, local sustainable you know, resource management instead of being, you know, connected with the world and depend, so we're so we depending on some countries who produce it you know far away so in that context i think uh, um, for us uh, now is the real time to think about uh, what kind of sustainable policy on irrigation water agriculture fruitful productivity nepal should have yeah thank you thank you pranita um i'll move on to the next question from rashmi kiran shrishta from nepal and this question is for any and all of the presenters are women interested in agriculture activities when they have already lots of domestic work burden? Is it fair to ask them to engage in agricultural activities as well? Ruth, is that uh, hand? Would you like to take that? Sure, I'll, I'll come in on this. Um, and here, I'd like to draw on the ten case studies that Dr. Pradhan, Dr. Prachanda Pradhan, had done because I, I've gone in, spent some time digging through the the results of it, and uh, it comes out to, it varies. In some cases where there's a lot of remittances coming in, women and men are not so much interested in agriculture and are even 
converting some of the land to um, housing. And this actually is interrupting some of the irrigation systems where you know you you build a house in the middle of of the system it, it messes things up um on the other hand and and some households with migrants are giving the land up for sharecropping giving it out or for rental out and switching away even moving to the bigger towns so they can get better education for their kids um but i think the there are other cases where women where agriculture is a good source of livelihood. And in particular, in a couple of the cases, women were going for irrigating vegetable crops, which were traditionally more of a woman's crop anyway. And um, in those places that were somewhat near to towns, that was a really profitable enterprise. So I think coming back to one of the earlier questions, about whether women engage or not, I think it's it's a matter of women's agency. Are they allowed to engage if they want? Do they choose to? And if they choose not to, that's also, you know, where that where they are choosing not to, like in um, the Tarai case that Manita presented where they're choosing not to, or they're choosing to use these informal mechanisms through their brother-in-law, that's also an exercise of agency, even if it doesn't work out the way people want it to. Thank you, Ruth. Um, next, we have a question from Ananya Chakrabarti from Ikrasat in Hyderabad. This question goes to anyone who'd like to answer it based on the case studies. How do social norms like patriarchy and women's traditional role as housemakers and not breadwinners cause the substitution of women's labor power with purchasing labor power in the market? What is the type of agricultural labor being hired instead? Who is replacing the labor of male out migrants? Uh, so uh, I think it's really contextual. For example, if I have to give the case of Tarai Plains in Nepal, we found that the substitution in terms of male labor was uh, available from a practice called desi, which is basically uh, male uh, male laborers that who offer their service in seasonal basis for various agricultural activities in contractual basis. So that kind of provision uh, was quite uh, critical to replace uh, the lack of labor, uh, labor uh, from the household that various farming households would get. Uh, but when we look at the Hilly case, for example, in our case study, we found that the substitution, um, the substitution provision was not really there because uh, they did not really have the practice of uh, desi sort of thing uh, happening in there. Uh, but with that, I think that's uh, that's something that Ruth mentioned earlier in terms of how, uh, you know, uh, when we talk about mechanization, that's also adding to uh, the uh, labor shortages and addressing that kind of challenges that various farming households face. Uh, the kind of uh, technologies that are coming in, uh, such as harvesters and uh, you know, that, that sort of replaces male labor in some sense, but when we talk about Weeders that does not really come in, even in Janakalyan where mechanization is in high, right? So we get to see the dynamics where uh, 
uh, weeding related activities that women do is not really replaced by mechanization. So, you know, there are these multiple factors uh, that are in play. And even in both contexts, situations are, are, quite, are, are quite different. But I think uh, uh, when we really reflect uh, and zoom out uh, from this, it really depends on whether labor is available or not for hire. And at the same time, how mechanization is kind of addressing uh, the labor shortages. But is it really benefiting women in all cases? Uh, in our experiences, not really. Thank you, Manita. Um, next, we have a question from Alicia Kendrick Pradhan. This question is for Ruth. Did your research re reveal the way that women's labor and participation was designated within households, specifically joint households? For example, were wives more likely to participate than mother-in-laws or both? Did intra-household power dynamics impact your results in any way? I'm really glad you asked this, Alicia. Um, partly, I, I have to say, this this study didn't get into that so much, unless, but Manita actually might come in on some of this because you interviewed both mother-in-laws. And however, I have a co-authored discussion paper from another study that came out, I think yesterday, um, on that looked exactly at this, um, of the effect of male migration and social position within the household. And we used both quantitative and qualitative evidence on the um, effect of uh, these things on women's empowerment using the um, women's empowerment in agriculture index data, but also qualitative and broad pattern is that when, um, if the husband migrates, it disempowers a daughter-in-law who lives with the extended family because her husband isn't there as a buffer. It's empowering to a wife, though, because she is now taking on more decision making. Also, a daughter-in-law may be kept at home more because her in-laws require it. Surprise, we didn't have enough mother-in-laws with migrant husbands. Usually, it's younger men who are migrating, so you don't find a lot of mother-in-laws with migrants. But what we did find that was a really big surprise is that the whole narrative is that daughter-in-laws are disempowered because they have to work so much harder. And what we find is no statistical difference in the hours worked by mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. What we do find is mother-in-laws are doing more productive labor, daughter-in-laws more reproductive, the domestic, and mother-in-laws are directing the daughter-in-laws. Um, that's why not having your husband there as a buffer matters. So yes, it's a good illustration of how there's so many other factors going on, such as women's position, that you can't just lump together all women and say um, this. Thanks, Ruth. Um, our next question is from Naresh Pradhan. And this question is for either Ruth or Dr. Pradhan. Um, Naresh says that this is a broader macroeconomic issue affecting the role of women in many fronts. 
This could be a permanent structural change on gender roles in household economic activities. In this context, it would be interesting to examine in the future whether overall household economies and the quality of life have improved due to the shift or reshuffle of gender roles. Like with any good question, I don't know that we have. Anyone on um, the panel can feel free to jump in if they like as well. Manita, Pranita, Chanda, do you have thoughts on this? Uh, Chanda, you're you're muted. Oh, I, wait. Yes, wait, go I, ahead. I can say a few okay. words. Uh, oh. I just wanted her to repeat that question again because it was really very interesting to me, but I just want to catch the entire thing. Sure. Um, this is a broader macroeconomic issue affecting the role of women on many fronts. This could be a permanent structural change to gender roles in household economic activities. In this context, it would be interesting to examine in the future whether overall household economy and quality of life have improved due to the shift or reshuffle of gender roles. Wade, would you like to? Yeah, yes, I, I certainly agree that this is a very important uh, macro question, um, not just economic, but also uh, education, health, and psychology. So uh, what I heard from the experience of China is with large-scale migration, you know, in the case of China, there's both men and women, often their parents of young children uh, who migrate to uh, urban areas for job. Um, those are relatively long-term, um, but they do return um, for the national holidays um, once a year or so. So th there has been documented, you know, impact on children's these children are called um, child left behind. They lived and raised by their grandparents. And so there's a lot of psychological impact, education, and, and, and also burden on the, uh, on the grandparents as well. So uh, I certainly dis agree this is an area that deserves a lot of attention. Um, yeah. As a you know, student from natural resource management with more focus on gender, one of my learning is that gender is a uh, a fluid relationship and it will constantly keep on changing. So I really like the question that the what the structural change that we have seen with migration. And uh, if we see the history, uh, the whole feminist movement started when the um, you know the women were never were always in the domestic sphere and they got into the um, male sphere when the, all the males were in in a fight for the Second World War. You know all these wars. So it's it's a kind of a, that kind of situation now with the, with the Nepal it's a case of migration but it, there it was a case of uh, war right uh, but of course in both places it's male migration so what I'm what I'd like to highlight for the to give an answer to this question is that working on gender and gender relation it will never end we cannot uh, we cannot say that we have achieved gender equality or equity because the new dimension will keep on coming. Like the wing gave a, uh, gave an example of China. And of course, there are certain things with the um, male migration now, but there are different type of vulnerability and issues. And so working as a human being, uh, you know, 
working constantly in upcoming new gender dimension is something I think uh, as a individual and professional will be continue doing. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Manita. Uh, yeah, Manita, 30 seconds. Yeah. We want to try and get two yeah. more questions in before we wrap uh, up. Thank you. Uh, so I just wanted to add one dimension to uh, that question. When we talk about quality of life, uh, what, who are we talking about? Whose quality of life are we talking of? that of men or women in this larger discussion because oftentimes when we uh, talked about talk about you know gender irrigation governance uh, in, in various communities we get very interesting feedback sometimes saying oh now you know women are going to domin dominate men so like you know uh, will uh, the quality of life when women are starting to be empowered and are starting to choose how to decide in these spaces how will this be taken up by you know the masculine domain of thinking? So just 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 that. Thank you. Thank you, Manita. Um, we have a few more minutes before we need to close. I'm going to try and get in two more questions. Um, the next question is from Labisha from uh, Ivmi in Nepal. Is there any interest currently in changing the language of this labeling women coming into governing spaces as undertaking a burden? Is the burden not existing unpaid labor and not necessarily this new participation in governance? I see Manita smiling if Manita, if you'd like to take that or if it's open to anyone on the panel. A discussion with her because she's my colleague, so I'll just let someone else to uh, Chanda, I think yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, uh, I think, I think the for me also, this this is the main, uh, in a way, crux of the thing is what is this labeling about, you know? So, till uh, I think the labeling is because we are ignoring the value of the work is it just as i said before is it just because women come into this space of governance or decision making then only the value or whatever the value when they were doing the work without coming into this space so so i think that's where uh sometimes uh, we get so entangled in this discourse about equality equity participation we forget the value of what is already being done what they're already doing so and and i think the basic thing is how do we value each person's, each individual, each group's uh, knowledge or their work, their capacity. And so just because women are working in this reproductive, as you say, the reproduction role, is it less valued? Do we have, do they have to enter that space of productive work to get valued so that they become equal? So I think that is the discourse we also need to think about more deeply. and that's where we get caught up into this which space who has that space where so that that would be my i think this is the value of the knowledge and the role and the work they're doing thank you chanda um i'm going to take one last and final question from jaya beer karmacharya is the increase in women's participation also helped because of ed the education system and knowledge enhancement of women rather than only migration by men Women's participation, did women's participation happen only because men's migration, or is this also due to women's empowerment? This question is once again open to anyone on the panel. Uh, I just want to share one of the experience that I recently had, uh, uh, because I'm considered to be an educated woman who's working right now in gender and water. You'd think that in my locality, uh, my neighbors would 
think I would be important enough or I would know things about like you know drinking water taps in our <laughs> in our house and the communal you know management of it. But when my neighbor came one fine day, he asked me, um, is your dad here? And I said, can you discuss if it is water related, like can you can you discuss that with me? And he said, no, I'd like to discuss with your dad. So I think uh, I think um, uh, I mean, of course, education and other like you know the way uh, the society is changing, the way social networking sites are being used now. We have so much information, but I think it's a slow process, and they definitely have helped. But I think even in the most educated families, there are still those constraints. Thank you. Thank you, Manita. Mm -hmm. um, we have five minutes left, and now I'd like to hand over to Ruth Meinzendek, who's a senior research fellow at IFPRI, to give a vote of thanks. Before I, thank you, before I begin the formal vote of thanks, can I just come in with one personal note on this? This project has been really such a privilege for me when I was in graduate school decades ago, Dr. Prachanda Pradhan was legendary for bringing the world's attention to the sophistication of farmer-managed irrigation systems in Nepal. I learned a lot about it secondhand through Dr. Ujwal Pradhan, who was my colleague in graduate school, who was doing his dissertation work and then went on to work at IMI um, in Nepal after that and then on to, uh, you know, many other things. So, and uh, so it has been a real privilege for me to be involved in some way in learning from this and now new generations of people studying this. Um, so just, just to say uh, that. We're now close to winding up this webinar on migration and gender dynamics in irrigation governance in Nepal. We've had a very lively discussion on this subject with all of your participation. We appreciate all of the contributions, including the ones in uh, the submitted writing questions that we will take note of, even if we weren't able to answer them. First of all, I extend my, my vote of thanks to Mr. Madhukar Rajbandari, Director General, Department of Water Resources and Irrigation. He was kind enough to start the webinar with his note of welcome in the beginning of the program, linking this topic to the current key policy issues that are being addressed in Nepal. I want to thank the paper presenters and discussants for sharing their insightful thoughts on this webinar. Uh, and to Dr. Prachanda Pradhan for his leadership in, in this project throughout, and Dr. Ujwal Pradhan for filling in as his voice in the last minute. <laughs> We have participants from many countries in this webinar, through the, though the seminar was supposed to be organized for a Nepal audience in Nepal. COVID-19 gave us the opportunity for the webinar and the information technology has helped people from different parts of the world to come together and discuss on this one common theme. So I thank you all 
throughout the world for this. I want to thank IFPRI, EMI, and FMIST management for supporting this research program. Special mention for the financial and technical support by uh, the CGIR programs on policies, institutions, and markets, and waterland and ecosystems. Uh, it will be a great injustice if I do not mention the contributions made by the leaders of water user associations in the phone survey and the contributions of the members of the water user associations during the case study of the 10 irrigation systems and then Manita's follow-up in the two. Simrin uh, as facilitator and Evgenia Ansimova have done an excellent job in keeping the program on track and they deserve our great thanks. Last but not least, thanks to Betsy Pereira of IFPRI in smoothing the administrative processes for the overall research pro project. Thank you all once again. Stay tuned for the final uh, publications. Thank you, Ruth, and thank you once again to all our panelists. Um, just a quick note that thank you all for your questions and participating and calling in. Unfortunately, we did not have the time to get to all the questions, but we have saved them and we will follow up. Thank you once again.